Welcome to the Catch the Fire London podcast. We hope and pray you'll encounter God as you listen to this message. We are talking about glory today. Now, it's an interesting one because I think, I mean, I'd be the first one to say this, and you probably heard me say something similar to this before, that as Christians in a modern Christian expression, we have a tendency to overcomplicate our Christianity sometimes. And, and we love to have an academic approach to God. And that's really important because understanding something requires knowledge and knowledge you pursue and you learn. But actually there's certain things that I think sometimes we've created as far too separate that are actually very much intrinsic of each other. So for example, last week we spoke on the presence of God. And we talked about how God is everywhere, but we have to choose to engage with him, didn't we? And we talked about how we need to engage with who he is. And it's not that maybe historically where we've had this dynamic where we think that God's presence can come and go and that we're almost in control of it. So we say, welcome, Holy Spirit, and he comes because we have the, you know, the the firepower over God. But actually, it's a reality where I actually truly think that sometimes God is just waiting for us simply to get over ourselves and acknowledge him. He is present everywhere. He is omnipresent. And actually, the word glory and the word presence are quite synonymous with each other, and they're almost identical on one level, whereas we've kind of separated glory to being something else slightly. And so this is kind of like a part two to last week. Um, And Ashley's got some really cool stuff to bring in a minute. But glory comes, I've written here when I was journaling this, we experience his presence when we engage with him. That's what I said last week. We experience his presence when we engage with God, right? When we turn our face to him, we said the word presence is the same as face. So we got that idea of when we're looking at him, when we're engaging with him, we experience his presence. He is glorious in who he is. He is glory in the most purest form of it. And we give him glory, which is, again, like this bizarre dynamic of the fact that both he can be present and yet present, and we can experience his presence in the same way that he is glory, and yet we can give him glory, which is a confusing concept. But it's the beautiful nature of the relational dynamic of God is that he doesn't need us, but he makes allowances for us so we feel like we have a part to play, which is quite cute in a way, isn't it? It's like I am... big moment in our lives this weekend, Isla and Caleb got bunk beds, which was a big moment. Now, it's a very useful moment because it means we now have more floor space because we're in quite a small two-bedroom flat. Um, but big moment, they got bunk beds and they're single bed size. So like Caleb looks like a dwarf in his. It's, there is a hilarious amount of space, which he is filled with a large amount of gorilla teddies. He's got a big gorilla thing. Um, and But this big moment we, we were doing, and it's one of the first times when the kids have done this, but Caleb was desperate to help me build the bed. And it was really sweet. And he was sat there and he was choosing the screws to pass to me and he was doing stuff and he was like pretending to screw the screws in as well. And, and I kind of like feel like sometimes that's what it's like with God. Like God, God, God in this analogy is me building the bed. I have no need of Caleb. In fact, if anything, Caleb probably slowed the process down a little bit. But there was a joy to doing it with him that I experienced as a father. And, and in the slowness, I got to enjoy him emulating me. And got to observe the fact that actually, Caleb could probably say, if he could say, I built that bed. Everybody knows Caleb did not build that bed. But he has that identity and that identification with the process of building it. And it's like that with us. I think there's this beautiful dynamic where God is doing everything. He's building his kingdom. He's extending his government. He is about his business. 
And yet, as his children, we get to play our little part. And we're oblivious to the fact that we're really not doing anything, let's be honest. We're really not affecting his plan in a great deal. He's not requiring us to do it. And yet, he has joy in the fact that sometimes, potentially, it takes a little bit longer with our involvement than he maybe initially planned. But he has joy at that because he gets to see us doing it. And so in the same way that when Caleb's, I've discovered yesterday, can count to 13, which is amazing, um, but when he's sat there counting out screws entirely unnecessarily, I get joy in the distraction of that moment. And I think sometimes when we're playing church and playing our, our viewpoint of how we should do our Christianity, it's like Caleb counting the screws. It's entirely irrelevant to God's plan, and yet it brings him joy. And I think that's the nature of it. And so there's this dynamic where this is a massive tangent of not what I planned at all, Stu, but anyway. Um, <laughs> there's this dynamic where actually we get to give God glory. We get to add to him when he needs nothing. There's, there's nothing that God needed in his nature of who he is from us today in church. And yet we added to him through our worship, through our praise, through our fellowship, through our coming together. We did that. Isn't that extraordinary that we get to bless him? I love that. And so he is glory and we give him glory. We experience his presence when we give him glory. And that's the next step from last week is as we turn to face him and we engage with him and we experience his presence, the nature of us turning to face him looks like the heart of wanting to give him glory. When you turn to pray, when you turn to acknowledge him, when you give testimony, when you represent him, when you worship him, when you praise him, when you talk about him to others, when you behave like him towards others, you are engaging with him and you're doing so giving him glory. And that's a wonderful thing. So glory is the manifestation of his presence. So when he is present and we're engaging with him and we're experiencing it the manifestation of that you could say is glory it talks there's two words that most people talk about in the hebrew it's kabod which you could define as the weightiness of god for glory and the other word in the greek is doxa which is best translated as the unspoken manifestation of god's splendor i love that and so on one level there's a complete nonsense to me trying to preach glory to you right now because glory isn't something to be spoken it's something to be experienced and so when we what we learn from this is there is in the kabod we learn that there is a weightiness there is an experience there is something changes about you when the glory of god shows up it's not it's not something that you can't feel but it's something that happens and it comes upon you. But then also the doxa is that it's the unspoken experience of his splendor, manifestation of his splendor. In John 2.11, it says this, This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And so at Cana, we have this dynamic where it's his first miracle, the water into wine. And in doing so, he manifested his glory and the evidence of the manifestation of his glory caused the disciples to believe in him. And so what do we take from that? That his glory causes a response. When we allow his glory to move, when we give him glory, it causes a response. And it's a beautiful reciprocation because 
Sometimes when we experience God and we turn our face towards God and his presence comes and we give him glory, then we start to see his glory in other ways and it becomes self-feeding. Have you ever noticed that, that when, you, when you're talking about testimony of other people, you start to experience more testimony in your life? When you are, like we've had it before when we've been driving home at like 2 a.m. from a conference and we've just been talking about Jesus and what he did and getting excited to be like, oh, did you see this happen, this person, this person? And then suddenly we've like, we had it where we were driving and we, we had, I think we were in Harpenden on the M1 or something and we were meant to have 45 minutes to get to the bottom of the M1 and it took five minutes. And that's not because I was driving some crazy hypercar that can go at 300 miles an hour. It was because the glory of God showed up and in his glory, we learn in Acts, exponentially more can happen. Philip ran faster than a chariot whilst eloquently speaking the, the scriptures and explaining Isaiah 61. When his glory turns up, stuff happens and it's reciprocal and it happens again and again and again. So his glory causes a response. His glory is shown in his evidence. There's this amazing thing, dialogue that happens between Jesus and Mary um, when Lazarus has died. And, and it's, it's a, I find the dualism anyway is a separate topic to talk about, but the, the dynamic of how we have the Mary and Martha dynamic earlier on where Martha kind of gets a bit of a bad rep in that dynamic. And then you have later on the death of Lazarus where actually Mary's, Mary's the one who's kind of a little bit distracted in that moment and Martha goes out to meet Jesus. But anyway, Mary, in this moment, she's coming at Jesus. She's coming with a whole load of soulish pain stuff. And Jesus responds, saying, if you believe, he said, I have said to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And then he goes and raises Lazarus from the dead. And, and there's this dynamic with Mary where he's saying, if you just stop for a second, if you just stop with everything that's overwhelming you right now, and just allow yourself to believe you're going to see something that's going to reveal my glory and change your life in an extraordinary way. And I, and I feel like when it comes to the glory of God, and Ashley's going to get onto this like almost now, so you may as well come up. Um, the, if we were just simply to stop for a second, we'd understand that God is the real bed maker, not us. We're just kind of messing around. And so in the same way as our input has very little consequence on him, our challenges and our trials have very little consequence on him. And so his glory manifesting is not a requirement on us, but it's who he is. And we need to stop for a second and let him come. Because the glory of God is revealed through the works of his hand. Thanks, Dan. Come on. So I was, um, yay. <laughs> I love it. This, this kind of like <laughs> quick synopsis of as deep as you can, as quick as you can into what is glory. And God really took me on a bit more of a, a different dialogue about what glory is and what um, his glory is. And in Isaiah 42, 8, he says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare before they spring into being, I announce them to you. So in this, he is saying, he is very clear about this. He will not share his glory with another. He will not give it away. It's not something that can be to be bought or sold or, you know, for sale that you can buy it with monetary things. It's not something um, that belongs to anyone else. That he is very clear in saying that he is the only one who is worthy of praise, of splendor, of honor. He is the only one and it should belong solely to him. 
He will not allow others to take credit for his work. And that even involves us because we know as humans that if we try to take credit, we're going to be boasting in our own actions. And therefore, we want to be, I think as Paul says, that we will not boast in anything but the Lord. So we need to make make sure that it is the Lord that is taking credit for everything that we do. And yet at the same time as God saying that he will not share his glory with another, he comes across and releases another uh, verse in the Bible where it says in Romans 8, 17, and since we are his children, we are heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Wow. Now, at first impact, that would kind of look a little bit contradictory. How can God not want to share his glory with another? And yet at the same time, in the same breath, he says that he will give us his glory and we will share in the glory as co-heirs of Christ. Now, God himself is not going to contradict himself. He's not a liar. And so both these statements must be true. But how do we marry them? How do we understand that these seemingly polar opposite statements are actually working really well and beautifully with each other? And what does God try to reveal to us when he is telling us both of these statements at the same time? And so as I said before, his glory isn't for sale. That is very clear. He's very adamant about that. Simon the sorcerer, is a clear example. And he completely missed the point, right? He, he was baptized with water. He recognized that he was like, hey, something good is going on here. There's power manifest- manifesting itself and Jesus is Lord. And then he went over and he says, I want to operate in the glory and the power of God. How much is it going to cost? In Acts 8, 18, 20, When Simon saw that the spirit was given to the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I may lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered and said, hey, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. So Simon really misses the point. He really misses the point because you cannot buy God's glory. There's nothing you can do in and of yourself that will ever get you God's glory. So what is God telling us about ourselves and about our relationship with him? God does not share his glory with another, but you are not another. God does not share his glory with another. But you, everyone sitting here, everyone at home, everyone who believes in God and loves him with all of their heart, you are not another. You are not a stranger. You are not unknown. You are not merely an acquaintance to him. You are his beloved. You are his child, it says in Romans. And you are one with him. The only way 
these two statements, these two Bible verses marry up together and make sense is when we understand that the only way we can receive his glory and share in his glory is through being one with him so that we can be co-heirs with Christ and we can be children of God. It is through being one with him, him living in you and you living in him, that you can become heirs and that he shares his kingdom willingly and joyfully with his bride, with those he calls his beloved and those he calls his dear ones, those whose desire is for connection and intimacy and love and surrender to him. In Romans 6, 4 to 6, it says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with and that we no longer will be slaves to sin. Now that sounds to me like a pretty good declaration, a pretty good promise and a pretty good exchange. When Jesus died on the cross, the promise here is that when we say yes to Jesus, when we say yes to who he is and that he is our Lord and Savior, we are nailed to that cross with him and we are buried with him. Our sin and our shame, our guilt, everything goes down into the grave. But we do not stay in the grave just like Jesus did not stay in the grave. He raised to life victoriously in resurrection power. And as people who are one with him, we also get to rise to resurrection power as well. So when he died on the cross and went down to the grave, we died with him. And the power of sin was broken. And so when he rose again, we rose again. And we are one with him. One with him in that moment, having died to ourselves, died to our sins, died to the flesh, that we could be raised victoriously and gloriously with him as co-heirs of Christ in that moment, seated with him in heaven. It is in that place And that is how we can then become co-heirs, being his beloved. And when the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus. That is how these two verses combine and we can share in his glory. For you are not another. You are precious, you are purposed, and you are one with him. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Or I love the, the passion translation for this. I like a little bit of poeticness sometimes. It says, living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. The mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people and God wants everyone to know about it. 
So as we are raised to life again, and God's glory is within us, Christ is within us, Christ in you, Christ in me, the hope of glory, the confidence of hope, the confidence of things to come. Hope is confidence. It's not a wishy-washy word. You know, I don't hope, you know, maybe I hope that, you know, I might get uh, I don't know, a new um, summer wardrobe. I may hope that, well, Dan probably hopes he might get a new car or something. Or, you know, there's all these things that we kind of hope for. But that is not what hope means in this sentence. Hope is a confidence, an assuredness of something. Christ in me, the hope of glory, the assuredness of glory, the confidence that glory is here with us. So Christ resides in you. His glory is within you. You are his temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the, the place where the Holy Spirit comes and, and makes himself a home within. And you are made to show and release his glory to the world. And as you walk about this earth, you are a place where his glory resides because you have declared yourself a beloved of God, a follower, a friend you have been marked and set apart by his glory upon you because of your choice to love him and to be one with him. So we need to understand as Christians today what it looks like to be temples of the Holy Spirit, to be co-heirs with Christ, to truly understand what it means to have died to sin and to let go of the old man and the former stuff and the former ways, that we are now risen to life victoriously in resurrection power with Christ through him, because of him, that we can be temples displaying his glory for the world to see. And that is how, through the Holy Spirit and resurrection power, that we can walk in the miracle signs and wonders that Dan was talking about before. And so, Dan, do you want to come up? <laughs> and so, we want to go into some ministry time. And I know Flicky's at the ready. <laughs> okay, why don't you stand with me right now? I just want to reiterate something Ashley just said. I think some of you need to just grasp onto how massive one of her points was of God will not share his glory with another, but you are not another. You are one with him. And I think some of you right now need to just let that sink in and maybe even just do a bit of self-care in this moment of just self-reflection and just ask yourself the question, do I really, really believe, act, behave, position my life with the mindset that I am one with Christ, that he loves me enough to look at me and say, I'm fully expectant of myself being glorified in you, because he does, he looks at you in that way. And so in the same way that I said at the start, that sometimes I think his presence comes not because he's not present, but because we're distracted and not looking at him, I think in this moment what we need to do is say, I'm so sorry, God. 
for where I have not valued myself in the way you do, for where I've not looked at myself as somebody who could bring you glory, for where I've had an expectation, even an inner belief that, you know what, yeah, you know, oh man, my leaders are great. They do this, this, and this, and they can glorify God, but how am I going to? No, you are the full expectation of God being glorified on this earth. And so start showing it. Start believing it. And so we're going to just do a little prayer around that where if it's something that you feel you would like to join in, then, then please do. But I just want to lead in a prayer of just laying down the old self, the old man, the old ways, the old sin. And then we're going to ask God to come in, raise us up and fill us again and give us that new perspective of what it looks like to be a living temple of the Holy Spirit. Does that sound okay? <laughs> Okay, so if you just want to repeat after me. Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, I give my life to you. I hand over my sin. And I ask that you would come and take it from me. I recognize that you died for me and that it says in your word that because of this and my acceptance of you as Lord, I am one with you. And so I choose right now to cast it aside, to cast off my old man, to cast off my old ways, and I, right now, and I ask right now that you would raise me victoriously, that you would raise me victoriously. and that you would come and fill me right now with your Holy Spirit, that you would come and bring me into victorious life, life ever after, where I will be a glowing and glorious temple for all the world to see. Amen. Amen. And so I just want to give you guys permission with all this because there's a potential that you could do one of two things right now. You could go, yeah, I am a glory-filled person who's going to reveal the glory of God and nothing's going to stop me and become entitled and totally entitled um, wonky Christian, let's just say that. Um, or you could go the other way and be like, oh man, I'm really, really not sure. I'm feeling a bit intimidated right now. And am I even saved? And, oh, and all that kind of stuff. What I want to give you permission to do is just be you. Okay? Be who you are, who God created you to be, the amazing, glory-filled person you are. And do your journey as you. And do it with him. In the same way that Caleb did not build that bunk bed, but probably believes he did. Have that level of confidence in the glory of God in your life that the evidence that he brings around you can be the same as a bunk bed built by a toddler that wasn't. And just journey that out. Be with him. Be surrounded by him. Give glory to him by just starting by believing in yourself a little bit more. Amen? 
Amen. Thank you for those of you online. Thank you for joining us church today. Bless you. And we'll see you online next week. And for those of you, just a reminder, 4.30 at Pina Village Hall next Sunday for church. Okay? Awesome. Bless you guys.